Welcome back, everybody, to a Thursday edition of Sports Talk. Along with Adrian Broadus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Great to have you with us. 600 ESPN El Paso. Three ways to get in touch with us this afternoon. Phone lines, 915-505-6009. That's 915-505-6009. Twitter, 600 ESPN El Paso. That's 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. You can tweet the show, and you can listen in on our free mobile app powered by United Bank, in which you can chat with us in real time while you're listening into the show. We broadcast live each and every day from the Lubingo Studios here on the west side of town, and happy to be back with you on this Thursday edition of the program from the Lubingo Studios. Going to be a fun one today. Ken Palm is going to join us in uh, a little less than 20 minutes. That's right, Ken Pomeroy, who, uh, as all of you know, has um, his his own rankings for college basketball. And I think he does football, too. And Ken Palm is so good that the WAC is uh, incorporating uh, some of his metrics into the... Um, I don't want to say standings because it's not standings. It's more of the seedings for their basketball tournament. It's part of the equation. Point is, Ken is in the equation. He's in the game. So I'm excited about that, Adrian. He's going to join us live via Zoom in uh, less than uh, about 15 minutes from now, actually, about 20 past. And then we're going to get Cody Decker on the show at 530. Hags at 615. And before you know it, uh, Chihuahua's uh, baseball coming up here uh, at uh, the bottom of our 6 o'clock hour. Excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great show today. Can't wait to catch up with Cody Decker here later on in the show. Uh, And then for Ken Palm, Steve, for somebody like him, uh, I know he's dabbled in a little bit of basketball, a little bit of football, like you mentioned, a little bit of golf last year as he was uh, giving away some advanced analytics when it came to the U.S. Open. So he dabbles in a little bit of everything, and he specializes in college hoops, which uh, we can definitely dive into. Ah, I like it. I like it. So that's going to be uh, all coming up here. By the way, he lives in like Salt Lake. Doesn't he teach at the University of Utah? Yeah, he's just, he does everything, man. He's like, this is a math guy. We're going to be talking to a math guy, not really talking hoops. He's going to tell us a lot of analytics and interesting stuff. I mean, I love the stats that he includes there. I reference it all the time, especially on Minor Talk. So, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, John Conniff is in town from Mad Friars. He joined us on the show last week. John's going to join us in our Lubingo studios tomorrow at 4. Uh, we had lunch with John today. We, You know... He loves El Paso, and he loves eating in El Paso as much as he loves covering the Chihuahuas. He's a foodie. He's never been to Lucy's. So we took him to Lucy's over there across the street from the X, right by the radio station. And I said to John, because he he sent me a text yesterday and said, what's the place that Adrian uh, mentioned for tacos? And Adrian, you talked about Taco Neta, which uh, both of us have been to. It's, it's, It's terrific. It's probably one of the hottest new tacos in town. But I told John, I said, listen, man. If you're coming in for food, if you've never tried the, the Tacos Antonia at Lucy's, this is it. We got to do it. So today, went there. He had it. And um, I don't want to say it was a life-changing experience for him, but uh, uh, he tweeted it out and um, really enjoyed him. And we had a good time sitting down and talking a uh, little uh, baseball, a little um, uh, Padres uh, baseball with, uh, with John today from Mad Friars. That was a lot of fun. 
It really was. It's always good to first off catch up with John whenever he gets in town. I was telling him the first time I think he, he stepped in our Lubingo studios while I've been here. Maybe it was my first year with uh, with KRD and 600 ESPN El Paso. So it's been a long time just seeing him in person, which was uh, really nice to do that. And then, uh, yeah, we got a chance to feast. I, I had the machaca plate. Yep. I, I shouldn't have gone that route, Steve, because I'm definitely a little sleepy. But uh, that Lucy's uh, Cafe has always, always is money. It's always consistent. You know what's so amazing, too? Like, for me, when it comes to Mexican food in El Paso, I've got, like, different places for different dishes. Like, for my machaca, I'll go I'll go Lucy's, just like for tacos and uh, I'll go Lucy's for tacos, Antonio, all right? But if I want Rianos, it's Avila's. They're my favorite Rianos in town. Love them. Can't get enough of them. And I also like their flautas. And then if it's enchiladas, it's Kiki's. So it's like... I've got all these places in town for certain foods, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. That's that's the best. You live in El Paso long enough, and you can start picking and choosing restaurants and food pairings for Mexican food. That's the way to do it, and that's just kind of the way it is for us. Like I'm convinced I will put uh, Tacos Antonio up with any tacos in the city, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's as good as it gets. Whether you get um, the, the uh, King's X version with uh, Javier that we had today, or you go to the uh, one farther on North Mesa by Savers, and David cooks it up for you. They've got you know, look, the whole family is in the business, and they've got different locations around town, and it's delicious anywhere you go. But that's just the point. It's like if and and, and I've always loved the Rianos at Avila's because they do it uh, incredibly, and you know that's like, so if I'm in the mood for Rianos, I know I'm going there. It's like every there's there's like different things and you know different restaurants and different specialty foods. That's what I love about El Paso is that no matter what kind of food you're in the mood for, there's there's a great, great, uh, you know, item waiting for you at any of these locations. Yeah, nice observation because I'm thinking like when I go to Leo's, that's the that's my go-to gordita spot. Bingo. Uh, you know, if you, if you go out to the little diner, I'm going with those green enchiladas out there. So it's like, yeah, you've got your little like spots everywhere across town yep. when you're when you have these Mexican food restaurants. And you know, we have the best Mexican food on the planet here in the 915. So we're spoiled when it comes to all the selections we've got. Oh my God, you're 100 percent right. There's but, but that's the right you said it. Like for me, little dynamo. First thing I think of is Chilliana burritos. I mean, it's like it's like Ooh. certain things. I just bingo. It just like clicks with me. Restaurants and and certain items. I know I know my go tos when I go to these places. Yeah, forget the breakfast options because uh, we can be here for the the rest of the three hours and just talk that. By the way, I will I would say that uh, Tacos Antonia could very well be on my like last uh, food list. Like if wow. there's like one thing you want, like is your last meal on earth. Uh, that would be that would be in the mix. Let's just put it that way. Especially when you get it with sliced avocado instead of the guacamole, like they have like the guacamole crema. But if you do the uh, sliced avocado instead, oh my God, it is just, it's heaven on earth. Heaven oh, on earth. man. Man, so. that, that sounds amazing. But I'm with you on that. Like if it's a uh, last meal, if I'm on death row for whatever reason, Steve, please bring me uh, some Mexican food. Yeah. Uh, preferably cooked by my mom. But that, All that's, right. uh, that's another thing. That's fair enough. If you want your mom over a restaurant, I don't have a problem with that either. I think that's good. I think you'll, I, I think people can appreciate that. But, man, some good stuff. Good stuff. As we get started here on the program today, uh, great to have you with us. 600 ESPN El Paso as we take you up till 630 uh, and uh, get you ready for that. Um, and, and, by the way, for those of you wondering, uh, yeah, Mad Friars did tweet out the picture of his Tacos Antonio plate. And I said, I said to Josh, I said, man, you got to take a picture of this and, and put this in an article. And he said, you know what, I guess he, he won up me. He, he put it on Twitter. 
and uh, you know, just talked about that. I was like, man, that looks that looks tasty. But we each had one, and it was good. And you you had the machaco. By the way, did you were there was there any second guessing when you saw the tacos come out about yes. uh, about that? Yes, there was. Uh, there were second guesses going on in my head, and I was also thinking to myself, like, man, I got the most filling plate out there, so I'm exhausted right now here at four ten, thinking, oh, I need a nap here. I need that afternoon siesta after that. After I was filled so much today, I'm with you on that one too. I am totally with you. Uh, oh my god, we got a lot more to cover on the show today. Uh, it's going to be a busy one. Uh, you mentioned it during Sports Center. Tiger struggled today, six over par, and and Tiger never got it going. He got it down to four. But just when you thought he was safe, he ends up, um, you know, he had a par three that his second shot at the pin just came up way short, and then he bogeyed it, and that kind of like took the the wind out of his sails because the crowd was into it. He had birdied his last two holes on the back nine. Everybody was getting excited. Then he bogeyed that par three, and that was kind of the end of, uh, of Tiger today. Yeah, and I know it's very disappointing for him because all indications throughout the past week since he made it out to uh, the Open out at St. Andrews, he all the indications were that he was going to try to compete really at a, at a higher level because he was looking good in practice rounds. He was walking um, you know, a lot better than he has in the past three tournaments that he's played in um yeah a lot of uh signs pointed that tiger would you know come back in a, in a positive way during this major but it started on the first hole he double bogeys it he shanks his his, uh, his tee shot and uh, the old you know the old course is real hard to play at steve it's longer greens it's a slower green and uh we talked to fred albers earlier this week it's it's a struggle for some of these golfers especially when you're talking about those windier conditions that tiger faced in the afternoon session today. and he played so well during the week in the practice round but sometimes if you don't start right and you start with a double bogey and then the mental game comes in, it's hard to shake that off when the wind conditions are like they were today. Yeah, and not to mention he was playing with a pretty competitive field, a, a group, I mean. he's ha- He has Max Homa to his left, who is basically Tiger Woods' idol and wants to prove to everybody that he belongs there, uh, you know, and especially belongs to that group. And Matt Fitzpatrick, who's coming off the U.S. Open victory. So, you know, he's got a, a, a tough group that he was going up with. Let's see if he can bounce back tomorrow. I'm, I'm really going to look to see if uh, Tiger can try to do his best to try to make the cut. Okay, good. I'm excited about that, too, and looking forward to seeing uh, if Tiger can somehow put together a, a great day. And because he was on the course late today, he'll be up early tomorrow, and maybe Tiger gets to have what Rory McIlroy experienced today, which is the course uh, at St. Andrews before the winds really start to kick in, and he'll get a chance to take advantage of a calmer day, a calmer course, and ultimately uh, shoot a better uh, second round. Yeah, it looked a little cold out there as well. I mean, not to mention the winds, like you said. Uh, he had he had two double bogeys in the first seven holes. So, you know, despite uh, the the weather conditions, it's also about starting a lot better this time, this second round, uh, you, you know, in the second day for Tiger Woods. He's got to start off a lot better, uh, get that early momentum, and carry himself through the, through the second day in that 18. I'm with you on that one. So, anyway, that's part of the story today uh, in, in terms of big, uh, big, uh, you know, storylines around sports. Uh, DeAndre Ayton signing the max contract offer sheet with the Pacers is interesting just because now uh, the, the Suns have a decision to make. Four years, $133 million, that is the max that he signed. Now, the, the Suns have two days to match the largest offer sheet in NBA history. And you wonder, if they don't match... They lose their center and don't get back any compensation. That being said, 
can Phoenix afford to lose um, a, a guy like uh, DeAndre Ayton? No, the, the simple answer is definitely not because, uh, A, this is about an assets acquisition league. You need to acquire assets. I get it. DeAndre Ayton is disgruntled with the Suns front office, and it all stems from the, the, the Suns not giving DeAndre Ayton that extension last summer. Look at what happens this summer. Kevin Durant has two trade destinations that he would like to go to, one being the Miami Heat, the other being the Phoenix Suns. Now that DeAndre Ayton has signed an offer sheet with another team like Indiana, they cannot, I'm talking about Phoenix, they cannot include DeAndre Ayton in a potential deal with the Brooklyn Nets for Kevin Durant uh, until potentially January 15th. So right. this is a huge, huge loss for the Suns, uh, even even seeing uh, DeAndre Ayton sign the offer sheet with the Indiana Pacers. So Ayton uh, can't go anywhere until at least January 15th. That's the earliest he can be traded if the Suns match, and they can't trade him to Indiana for a year. How about that one? Yeah, it's a terrible one, too. And with Indiana, maybe you get Miles Turner and Buddy Heald in a potential sign-in deal trade, but that can't happen until next year. Aiton will also have veto power on any trade for a year. So that's another really interesting storyline, is that Aiton will be able to decide where he wants to go until this time next year. Knowing Robert Sarver and knowing how bad of an owner he really is with the Phoenix Suns, I would not be surprised if when it's all said and done, he is with the Indiana Pacers and the Phoenix Suns do not match that offer sheet. Although early indications suggest that the Suns will match that offer sheet, I just don't want to be that person in the locker room trying to mend the relationship between the Suns front office and DeAndre Ayton because that relationship seems pretty tarnish right now i'll say this if the suns say no and you get to put Aiton with tyrese halliburton that is a terrific combination out there in indiana for a rebuilding pacers team yeah inexpensive one as well i mean you have deandre Aiton who could even be traded down the line so i like that chris duarte is a young uh, guard uh, who's uh, rising yep. in this league as well i like these uh, pieces that they've got we'll talk more about it later in the show again good one today ken pomeroy's next right after charlie one who's got our first traffic update of our thursday commute 20 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. Great to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. Oh, I am excited about having this man with us right now. Ken Pomeroy, who uh, we know as uh, Ken Palm from his college basketball ratings, is uh, joining us now live via Zoom. We appreciate uh, Ken uh, giving us a little time here on the show today. Welcome, Ken. Good to see you and hope uh, your summer's going well. Yeah, it's going great, Steve. Nice to... Uh... Nice to be able to chat with you and nice to, to have some college hoops to, to talk about at this time of year. I was excited when I heard the news about what the WAC was going to be doing uh, with their WAC tournament. And there's a lot of reasons why. UTEP was a member of the WAC for many years. And as you probably remember in the days of Utah, BYU, New Mexico, before the Mountain West, uh, it was one of the best mid-major conferences in all of college basketball. And they've always been a conference that hasn't been afraid to try something different. So when we heard the news that uh, they were going to take uh, your uh, ratings and incorporate that into their uh, tournament seeding algorithm. I got pretty excited about that, Ken. I can't even imagine what you probably felt like when you heard the news. It's uh, it really is a great opportunity to to work with the league. Um, you know, Brian Thornton, the commissioner, got to give him a, a lot of credit for uh, you know really kind of thinking outside the box and, and being open to uh, to doing something like this. Um, I think it's going to be uh, an exciting thing for the WAC, and 
you know, if nothing else, we got a lot of people talking about uh, WAC college basketball in the middle of July, which uh, has to be a first. I, I love that. Exactly right. Now, for people that aren't familiar with your site and, and what you do, why don't you talk a little bit about kind of how you got involved in putting together your, uh, your Ken Palm ratings years ago and, and how it's evolved over those years? Yeah, it all started, you know, early 2000s. Um, Moneyball came out, the book, and uh, and there was, you know, a lot of, like, analytics work going on in, in baseball. And, um, you know, I was not a huge baseball fan, but I was a huge college basketball fan, and I kind of wondered where all the analytics work was going on with that and didn't find a whole lot. So started my website and, and got rolling with that and, um, you know, kind of built it, you know, without any expectation of ever, you know, ever being like this big or anything like that is built it like for myself, mostly as like kind of a reference for what teams did well and didn't do well and rating all the teams from one to, to 300 and whatever. And, uh, and, you know, it's just year by year grown a little bit, you know, add a little features, things like that. It's kind of a little more popular. Coaches started using it. Media started mentioning it on the air and, uh, and things kind of took off to the point where they're at today. When you grew up, uh, what college basketball team were you rooting for? I grew up on the East Coast, uh, uh, Northern Virginia. So I, I rooted for like the the Virginia teams, Virginia, Virginia Tech, um, uh, you know, VCU had a, had a good team, but mostly it was Virginia and Virginia Tech that I rooted for growing up. I find it interesting that you decided to put this whole thing together. Was it just that you weren't happy in those years with RPI and you felt that there were other ways you could measure the quality of a basketball team? Yeah, that was it a little bit for sure. I was, uh, yeah just wanted like better analysis you know you'd watch games on tv and like some people knew what they were talking about but you know sometimes people would say things and i would be like you know we have like we have enough data now we can really kind of like test if, if this is true or not um and so that's really what got me started i mean the thing that's you know great about college basketball is that there are just so many different ways to have a successful program I mean, different styles to win games and uh, I think, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do with my site was like show that to people like, hey, this team has this strength, this team has this strength, they play slow, they play fast, their defense is good, or, you know, their offense is good, and this is why. Um, that that was really, you know, the main motivation for me to get started. How tough was it to kind of break through the, I guess maybe there was a block between kind of that old school mentality, thinking that there was a, a previous way of looking at basketball versus the advanced analytics version of basketball. How was it kind of breaking through those bat barriers right there with people? Yeah, early on, it was uh, it was definitely uh, a little bit of a struggle. You know, there's a lot of kind of like old school media who, you know, I mean, you see this in every sport really where, where people are using kind of more advanced statistics, but, you know, they kind of push against the numbers and say, you know, oh, the game's not played with numbers or whatever. And, you know, all I was trying to do is just put better information out there than we had. And and some people, you know, to their credit, took to it pretty quickly. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am without um, some media members and and certainly uh, coaches, um, you know, embracing this stuff and mentioning it and getting the word out. And, um, you know, that helped a great deal. Ken Pomeroy with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Would you say that uh, your ratings uh, favor mid-majors more than the traditional, what is now the net rankings through uh, the NCAA, or is it pretty much in line with, uh, with the other rankings out there? Yeah, I mean, at this point, like the, the net's pretty similar to my ratings. You can find some differences. Um, I, I mean, I just, I'd like to think that, like, you know, my ratings aren't designed to like favor like one group or one conference or one style of team, you know, they're designed to be, be fair to everybody. So, you know, if you play in a, in a league where, you know, you, or especially if you play a schedule where, you know, you just, you don't have a lot of quality opponents, like, you know, my system still should be able to like rank you accordingly based on how good your team is and how well you play. So, 
Um, so that's the idea behind my system. So, you know, you do see like strong teams from outside the power six conferences rise up the rankings. Like, you know, people talk about how Gonzaga is always number one in my ratings, but you know, they've had really good teams the last few years. Like I think Houston was like a team that was a great example last year, a team that, uh, you know, people didn't think much of because they didn't really have like quality wins during the regular season, but you know, based on their scoring differential and, and, um, their strength of schedule, like, even though it wasn't great, it was good. Um, you know, it was, it was, you know, pretty clear they were a, a solid team heading into the NCAA tournament and a little bit underrated by the public. Ken, it's funny. Um, Matt Norliner did a really nice job uh, when he wrote the story about the WAC and went into pretty uh, good detail about your system and how that would affect the WAC from last year as a guide and, and in this year as well and how the whole thing is going to go into place. I, I bring up New Mexico State because they have one year left in the WAC and then they move to Conference USA uh, along with UTEP and, and uh, three other schools that are going to be coming in. And yet, when we heard from Greg Heyer, the new head coach at NMSU, he was talking about how difficult it is right now for him to schedule games, that nobody wants to play them. And whether it's them going on the road or trying to bring teams in at home, they're really having a tough time right now getting games against anyone that's worth a you know worth a salt because they don't want to they don't want to risk a possible loss. And you know you look into the the the, the way that impacts scheduling. How tough is it, you think, when you're a college basketball team like them and you know you just came off a tournament win and right now you're, you're, nobody even wants to play you when it comes down to it? Yeah, it's a major issue in the sport. And uh, I think it's something that probably doesn't get solved very easily. Like I, I know the WAC is trying to work on some sort of uh, scheduling alliance with some other leagues and, and have kind of, you know, resuscitate bracket busters a little bit, you know, in, in, in uh, like February or something like that. But yeah, it's a major issue. And I, I should point out like the system we devised for the standings here, like, you know, people are talking about how, you know, you need to schedule tough teams or whatever to do well in it. And that certainly helps. Like it helped New Mexico state last year. We'd had this system last year, you know, they beat good teams like Washington state and Davidson and those would, those would greatly help their, their situation. But, you know, you could still get away with scheduling teams in the, you know, 150 to 200 or even 250 range. You know, if you, if you win the vast majority of those games on your schedule, like, you're still going to fare pretty well in, in this approach. So, um, so this isn't totally about schedule strength. It's really mostly about just evaluating like how well you do against the schedule you play. You're obviously expected to to win those games against lesser teams, but you know if you do that and you beat some mid level teams, like you're still going to rate pretty well in the system. I want to talk about your system because uh, there is opportunities for people to go and log in. They can subscribe to what you do, and when you do go in different schools, you will have uh, advanced analysis of each team and. Uh, let's begin with four factors because you've got those four factors, effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebound percentage, and then, um, you know, free throw attempts and field goal attempts. How, when you came up with the four factors, did we, did, did you really devise uh, these four? Well, uh, we should give credit to a gentleman by the name of Dean Oliver, who I uh, blatantly uh, stole these ideas from. He, he actually wrote a book, uh, uh, I guess, around 2002 called Basketball on Paper, and that was actually a really big inspiration for what I'm doing. Um, but the trick was Dean was really an NBA guy. He was focused on NBA work. He's actually currently uh, on the Washington Wizards coaching staff. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I took those from him. And basically, you know, the idea is, uh, you know, those four things basically explain everything about your offense or your defense. And those are the, the kind of the, the four, like, main components of, of what you do. So um, they're kind of, you know, they just kind of naturally uh, work in that way. And, um, um, you know, you, I guess the, the one, you know, key thing to remember about those things, which, I, you know, I, I alluded to earlier, but there's basically no team in the country that's going to be good at all of those things. Um, some teams are really, really good at, like, two things and – 
and that's good enough to like drive a good offense or a good defense. And, and some are, you know, okay, like four things and then they're going to be pretty good. But um, you know, you can really see like different styles in, in terms of what teams specialize in, in terms of each of the four factors on offense and defense. In the miscellaneous category, I really find the non-steal turnover percentage as a real interesting stat that you keep a, a track of. In fact, UTEP, uh, they would, uh, you know, they would reference that all the time because they loved getting people on shot clock violations last year defensively. Uh, can you explain that stat a little bit to our listeners? Right. So like all turnovers are either steals or there's something other than a steal. And you can think of, uh, you know, you mentioned one, obviously shot clock violations. Chargers are a big thing as well. You know, defensive uh, fouls drawn tends to correlate pretty closely with that. Um, traveling violations, you know, things like that. So um, it's really kind of the, the other things that are maybe not um, exciting turnovers, not the type of turnovers that necessarily lead to like a fast break the other way, but indicate certainly a, a certain style of a, of a team's defense. And uh um, you certainly can, can separate the teams from, you know, specializing, getting a lot of those to teams that maybe play a more uh, passive defense, let's say, and, uh, and don't, you know, get a lot of those. More with Ken Pomeroy as we continue here on Sports Talk. But first, let's go to Adrian. He's got a bottom of the hour Sports Center update for us. All right, Adrian, thank you very much. Continuing our conversation right now with uh, Ken Pomeroy. You can go online to KenPom.com, check everything out. There's uh, subscriptions available. You get all the information you need. And essentially what this does is kind of like we've talked about with Jay Jaffe at Fangraphs and FootballOutsiders.com. So much is in the analytics movement in sports. Ken's been doing it for 20 years, 20 plus, but now it's just a way to really understand college basketball a little differently. The whack thinks highly enough of Ken's ratings to incorporate it in seedings for their tournament. And that's uh, one of the big reasons we want to bring uh, Ken Pomeroy uh, on with us and, and talk about everything he's got up on his site. I love the fact that you not only have team analysis, but then you also go in-depth into individual players as well. And this is interesting because what you'll do is look at certain categories and compare players versus the national rankings, which I guess from a scouting uh, standpoint really gives teams that subscribe to your uh, you know, your site uh, a little better understanding about each player and, and, their, and their value and their worth. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, I guess the main benefit to me is looking at players, especially who maybe play preserve roles. You know, if you look at per game averages, obviously, you know who the star players are on the team and things like that and who the good rebounders are. But, um, you know, really looking at uh, what players do when they get the opportunity to play, you know, uh, in terms of like rebounding rates and assist rates and and things like that, you know, their overall efficiency, um, you know, when they take a shot or or do something on the court, um, those things are to me, pretty useful, you know, especially, like I said, for, for those part-time guys, when you look at their per-game averages, you know, you're not going to get a lot of uh, great information out of it. Well, I love the fact you've got them broken down into major contributors, uh, significant contributors, role players, limited roles, and then nearly invisible. And it's based on percentage of possessions used. So the greater your possessions used is, and then uh, the greater your role is going to be. And it's interesting in the sense that every player is in a specific category based on those possessions. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, uh, everybody on your favorite team, you know, they all have a certain role offensively and, and some have a big role and some have a small role. Some have a, a small role and perform extremely efficient, efficiently in that role. And if they had a larger role, they might not do as well. And, uh, you know, especially the star players use a lot of possessions. I think, you know, they're pretty interesting because, you know, you can get to a, you know, a, a guy who's a, a pretty high scorer and, and 
he can do that by maybe not shooting that well, but taking a ton of shots, or he can get there by, you know, not taking a ton of shots, but shooting really well. And so, um, so that kind of information is, uh, is also on the page there. And I think uh, really useful in kind of uh, scouting a, an upcoming opponent. I know uh, how much the WAC thinks of you. That's obvious by now. What about just the rest of college basketball? Are you finding that more and more teams are, are using uh, what you've been able to build all these years and, and incorporate that into their scouting before games? Yeah, I think, you know, every every team probably uses it in some way or every team's a subscriber, but maybe like, uh, you know, 200 like use it regularly and maybe like 100 like really know what they're doing with it and have, get an advantage. But there's no question like, you know, teams are, you know, they understand the use of analytics at this point. There's somebody on every coaching staff that understands that. And especially as we get like more turnover in coaching staffs, we're getting more people now on staffs that basically like grew up with my work. Uh, which is kind of a scary thing, but uh, you know, it's like all they've known in, in their coaching career is going onto my website or using, you know, other websites like Synergy. But, um, but certainly they're like, you know, it's just second nature for them to uh, to incorporate this work into their uh, into, into their scouts. Ken, how has your analytics evolved over the years? What would you say is the biggest change now versus what we might have seen maybe five, ten, fifteen years ago? Well, I, you know, the analytics hasn't changed a whole lot. Like I've, uh, you know, added little things here and there on the site and we've gotten, you know, I think more data over the years, especially in terms of play-by-play data. So we can derive things like uh, possession length on offense and defense for a while. All we had was, you know, possessions per game when I first started, you know, and a team could could play a slow tempo because they're just really good defensively at slowing teams down or they could um, play a slow tempo because they hold the ball offensively. Now we, we can know and we can differentiate between offense and defensive possession length. Um, you know, I have some stuff on there about um, fouling, how, how the coaches handle foul trouble, um, which is something that, you know, we couldn't have done uh, without play-by-play data. So um, so that's, I think, very interesting as well. You can kind of know immediately if you're watching a game, if a player gets two fouls early in the first half, like you can look at my site and see how a, see how the team handles um, players with two fouls and, and pretty quickly understand if you're ever going to see that player again in the first half or not. Interesting. What about in terms of just using it to try to predict outcomes of games? I know it seems like it's uh, it's crazy, but nowadays how we're seeing daily, uh, you know, whether it's uh, DraftKings and a lot of these daily sites come around and, and how big sports gambling is, has that become part of this whole equation? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, certainly when I started, actually, that was also motivation. It was not necessarily gambling, but was, you know, the point spreads are, are really, really good and really accurate. And uh but when I started, you know, you only, and even now, I guess you really only have point spreads for a day in advance. So I kind of wanted to have something where I could see point spreads for two weeks in advance or something, you know, an upcoming game that I was looking forward to. And so, um, so yeah, so the, I think the, the predictions, um, you know, are, are pretty good in that sense. And I'm sure there's uh, quite a few people that subscribe to my site that, uh, that use the information to uh, try to help them in their, in their own uh, gambling interests, I'm sure. Um, now going back to the WAC tournament model, uh, you know, specifically with New Mexico State, they're headed to Conference USA as early as uh, you know next year. So how do you think the model is going to change when the conference, when there's a lot more parity in the conference? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, the model is so, we'll just have to see how things go this year. I, I don't anticipate changes, but, you know, we'll, we'll get feedback from the teams and, uh, and we'll see what happens. But uh yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think the parity aspect just makes things more exciting. Um, I mean, one of the things that people really haven't talked about with this uh, system is that it makes non-conference games meaningful. You know, like, uh, obviously, if you're a team maybe chasing an at-large berth, like, non-conference games are somewhat meaningful. But let's face it, most teams in the WAC are not in that boat. So 
Um, so it makes those non-conference games meaningful. You win a big non-conference game and it's not just like a win for you. It's like, it's actually going to help you in your conference seating. And so, uh, certainly at the top of the conference, if there's more parity there, like it's just going to make those non-conference games more interesting for, uh, for all the league's members. This season with the WAC is a great litmus test. I'm sure for you, because if it goes well and people really like the way the WAC handles their tournament and the way things go, others could follow. And before you know it, you might become kind of the, uh, the, the norm when it comes to teams looking to find a way to seed their, uh, their members a little different than just conference standings. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, potentially an exciting way to do things for, for one bid league, certainly. You know, you want to generate a little bit more interest and excitement in what's going on in your league. Like I said, you know, you can do you know, this kind of system puts uh, emphasis on games year round. It doesn't necessarily, you know, the conference season is still important. It's still two thirds of your schedule and it still matters, but um, it just adds a little more interest to the non-conference schedule as well. And uh, and so I think, you know, you're probably not going to see the, you know, the SEC or the Big 12 go to something like this, but but certainly, you know, uh, conferences outside of the Power Five or outside of the you know the multi bid leagues, the top ten leagues. I think it is something that could be uh, could be pretty useful for them going forward. So this next question is for Ken Pomeroy, the college basketball fan, not KenPom.com, the analytics uh, college basketball wizard. As a fan, does the current state of athletics in college, especially with NIL and the way it's now changing the game, does I don't want to say does it change the way you look at the sport, but in your mind, is it something that's going to maybe hurt college basketball more than help it here, at least in the short term before the NCAA figures out how they can regulate this? I'm not, uh, I'm not too concerned about it. Obviously, there's some things that you know could stand to be regulated at this point. But, you know, we were always headed to something like this at some point. Uh, it was I think, mainly the NCAA's mismanagement that led to kind of the Wild West here for the last couple of seasons. But um, I'm definitely strongly pro player in terms of allowing them to be uh, rewarded for for you know their talents and things like that. So um, to me, yeah, it's change. And I mean, change is tough. But, you know, I think 10 years from now, the sport will be in a better place. And I think from a fan standpoint, it's still just exciting as it ever was. I know there's a lot more player movement and that turns some people off. But. I don't know, man. I look back at the last year, last year's tournament. It was it was really fun, and uh, you know, obviously the Carolina Duke game was one of the, the highest rated college basketball games of the last few years in the in the Final Four, and so um, so I'm looking forward to to the sport being you know pretty healthy going forward. And I you know I still love it as much as I did 20 years ago. What is your favorite analytical metric from your site? Well, the what you know the easiest one. I know people get scared off by stats, but the, the easiest one I feel like to to implement and and use and that anybody can understand is two point percentage. And we don't really talk about that. You know, when they implemented the three point shot, we kept field goal percentage and we, we use three point percentage. And obviously, there's overlap in both of those things. And so, one of the things I do on my site, whether it's the team breakdowns or the player breakdowns, is is break things down by two point percentage to three point percentage. So you can see, you know, our team's good inside the arc or they get outside the arc. Uh, and, and try to get people away from just uh, thinking in terms of like bulk field goal percentage, which combines, you know, really difficult shots, three-point shots, and easier shots, two-point shots, and it doesn't necessarily give you a very meaningful uh, number. Now, you mentioned your site hasn't changed all that much over the years. Could we see some uh, some big changes possibly in years to come? As you look in the future of where this is headed in college basketball, give me a little bit of an idea if you had to go into your crystal ball where you think we could see the future of, uh, of where Ken Palm goes. Yeah, you know, it really depends on the, the data that I have access to uh, there. You know, like I mentioned the play by play data earlier, but that actually is like really been upgraded here in the last couple of years um, in terms of getting shot location and things like that. So, you know, things like shot charts for players and, and, and you know, things related to that for teams as well um, is something that I'd, I'd love to work on. 
Um, I'm, I'm really torn though, because, you know, I'm dealing with, uh, I'm dealing with coaches who, you know, have their routine and, and don't necessarily like change and are very familiar with the format of my website, which has mostly remained the same for, you know, the last 10 years at least. Um, so I, I'm pretty careful about making like kind of major changes because I know that I'll get some pushback from, uh, from my core users who uh, are my, are my best advertisers, that being coaches and media. You want to check it out. It's uh, kenpalm.com folks. You could subscribe and get all the information that all the teams get as well. Kenpalm.com really enjoyed the conversation. Ken have a great rest of your summer and, um, let's keep in touch and look forward to uh, seeing how the WAC uh, deals with everything this upcoming season. Sounds great guys. Thanks for having me on. Ken Pomeroy, folks, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Come back with more fours across the board. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, hour two of three. It's really, I mean, yeah, three. We have two and a half today is the best way to put it. We'll be in the third hour, bottom of the third hour, and that's when Tim Haggerty takes over. Tim apparently uh, was in the uh, at the radio station today along with his six-year-old son, Carson, Carson was recording uh, for Iris Lopez for uh, our partner station, Kiss FM, today. I did not know this, Steve. This is uh, great news. I'm glad that the Haggerty fam was in the building. I'm sad that I missed them. That's the Me only too. thing I'm bummed out. I am, too. I was really excited about that. Apparently, um, Tim left me uh, Carson's uh, voice parts on my uh, desk when I got back from lunch. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, I missed I missed Carson Haggerty today. That's 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 rough." Oh, uh, it's a bummer, man. I'm sad. I'm I'm bummed out. Yeah, we'll get to hear his voice a lot now. Apparently, he's going to be all over Kiss. So good for him. That's going to be fun. I'm ready to go. Nice. With that. Okay. All I right. am ready. Good. Uh, Cody Decker will be joining us coming up in about a little less than thirty minutes from now, actually. So looking forward to having uh, Deck uh, join and uh, talk about his second go around at Dodger Stadium hitting. Um, home run derby baseballs just to help uh, Dodger Stadium out for next week's home run derby. How about, don't you love the fact that Cody Decker is the dress rehearsal for the home run derby contest? Yeah, and I, I like the pictures that we saw and the videos that we saw. Me too. I think he said he, he raked five in, in like the speed round or whatever that was. Yep. So, yeah, I liked I liked all the things that we saw from Cody. I do, I do too. I do too. So we'll have Cody Decker joining us here uh, just a little bit later uh, in the hour and then Tim Haggerty in our 6 o'clock hour. To talk about, including um, the latest out of uh, the Open Championship, 150th Open. Doesn't look good for Tiger Woods if you're just joining us now uh, and caught SportsCenter. Not good if you're a Tiger fan. Tiger struggled today. Six over par. The conditions weren't good. He had a couple of double bogeys. Never really got into his rhythm. And, um, you know, but Roy McIlroy looked terrific today. One shot off the pace, and he's in prime position. So uh, things are definitely heating up uh, at the uh, Open Championship. And by the way, if you have Peacock, they've got different groups you can uh, you can watch. I was uh, checking out the Tiger group earlier today, even though they've got the national feed on USA. So a lot of ways to watch the Open Championship. Yeah, 150th out at at uh, you know at the Open, which is so cool. The old course at St Andrews. It's the uh, illustrious course. Uh, it's interesting because um, you know looming over all of this, there's the live golf players who are rejoining some of the uh, PGA Tour golf players. You have Dustin Johnson in fifth right now, tied for fifth when. He 
carded a four under. Scotty Scheffler has played great golf all year long, and he's in the mix as well at four under. Uh, Rory has played fantastic, especially as of late. So I- I'm looking at him to be in contention throughout the weekend. And you, you definitely can't sleep on some of the uh, you know the other suspects out there, uh, like Xander Shoffley, who's coming off back to back wins. Uh, you know, in golf. No, you can't. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Even without Tiger, there's a ton of great storylines. Ton of great storylines. So, yeah, I'm excited about that, too. I I really am. Hey, uh, this is interesting, and just because I've never really seen this come into play outside of really the situation with Brooklyn and Kyrie Irving, but apparently, you know, the Yankees wanted Andrew Benatendi from Kansas City. He's an all-star this year, but... Because he has not received his COVID vaccine and is not able to enter Canada, the Yankees are now rethinking their pursuit of uh, Benatendi. Wow, that's so. In- are you just looking at that when it comes to playoffs in October? If you're the Yankees right there and you're thinking, we can't have Ben Attendi. If we're going up against the Blue Jays, we need to be at full strength. Possibility. So, you know, possibility. You, you look at another avenue at po- possibly to trade for versus somebody like him. I mean, let's be honest. You might see them in the postseason. It's, it's very possible the Blue Jays get hot, make a wild card run. And if that's the case, the Yankees and Blue Jays could face off. And if you trade for a guy like Ben Attendi and then you can only play him in New York and not in Toronto that that you know you don't want to deal with that no look, you at what, don't. look at what Kansas City had to deal with when they had 10 players unvaccinated so they basically called up their entire triple a team from Omaha to take them with them for these games yeah it's a it's totally a competitive disadvantage to uh you know a team like that and if you're the Yankees you're you're trying to win it all this year so you don't want to have any kind of kinks in the armor uh to uh you know hurt you in a postseason run and I, I get it you know those are road games that you'd potentially play out in Toronto and it's just one player right there but that one player can make the difference and if you don't have him playing for a uh you know sp- a specific postseason game like this I mean even look at the Raptors when they had their first round playoff series in the NBA playoffs against the 76ers uh you had guys like Matisse Thibel for Philly not able to play in that series and that you know by a lot of people's uh measures N- NBA analysts fi- uh, thought that that would be a big hurt uh for Philly not having somebody like him now interestingly enough the Mets may make a run at Benatendi. The Mets uh, do not head to Toronto for the rest of the regular season. The only chance the Mets would face Toronto is if it would be in the World Series, and I don't really think the Mets are too concerned about that right now. Benatendi's batting three seventeen, has 37 RBIs, a couple of stolen bases. He gets, he gets on base a lot, and that's why he's a pretty valuable uh, commodity right now. But it is interesting that the Yankees might uh, decide that, you know what, the fact that he can't play in Toronto, uh, we don't, we don't, we don't want that right now. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I feel like if I'm the Mets or any team out of the NL, I would probably go and try to pursue him, just knowing that you don't have to necessarily go to Toronto in the postseason to try to go to the World Series. And hey, if there, there's some um, you know magical way that the Blue Jays uh, go to the World Series and face off against one of these NL teams who has been attending on their roster, then then they have to you know prepare for the worst if that's the case. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, more baseball, by the way. Rockies beat the Padres today, eight to five. Another bad performance for Blake Snell, who uh, lost. Actually, didn't lose. No decision, but gave up five runs in, in three and two-thirds. Uh, but what's interesting about this game, uh, despite the loss, um, Esteori Ruiz goes one for four, scores a run, steals a base, and hits a double. 
So, again, Ruiz is an interesting one to watch. He's batting three thirty three thus far in San Diego. He's playing left field. And uh, I am interested when the Padres get back, uh, you know, some of their main guys. And all of a sudden, you start to see Profar come back. You start to see Myers come back. Can Ruiz survive on the roster, or will he come back to El Paso? Yeah, he's hot right now. So, for, you know, his sake, for Ruiz's sake, and for a lot of Padres fans out there, they're going to hope that he continues his hot streak for sure and that he can continue with this uh, momentum. It really started in that first outing when he joined the Padres, got that first hit off the first, uh, you know, at bat appearance and then gets the RBI in his second one. So, yeah, you know, he's been hot uh, lately, and I'm happy for Ruiz, who's really, you know, done a lot here in El Paso and is now, uh, you know, reaping the benefits out in San Diego. I'm with you on that one. Uh, Again, you want to get in on the program, 505-6009, get you through to the show. That's 505-6009. You can also tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. And if that's not enough for you, how about uh, listening to the show on our mobile app, powered by United Bank? And then you'll have a chance to chat with us in real time while uh, the show is going on. That's also uh, a lot of fun for those of you that uh, enjoy listening on the app but still becoming part of the program uh, via the chat feature. So that's also uh, another way to do it. Three ways to get in to sports talk with us each and every afternoon 505-6009 that is our telephone number all right so the uh, deandre ayton story uh, today with the offer sheet by the pacers is interesting because it's not a foregone conclusion that phoenix decides to match there are issues if they do the trading freeze until january 15th is one the fact that ayton can veto a trade all the way up for a year is another and the fact that the pacers wouldn't have a chance at him for a year is a third so you think about all that but even more than that you know you say to yourself right now phoenix was close last season they really were they had a nice run i like what monty williams has been able to do with this club the last few years um i i look at deandre ayton as a core piece and to me if you get rid of a core piece you must get back some kind of compensation. And if they decide not to match the offer sheet, they will get zero compensation back. No no uh, draft picks, no nothing. So I really wonder uh, if your Phoenix, because you've been such a, a good team in the West these last few seasons, can you even a, a afford not to bring back somebody like DeAndre Ayton? While DeAndre Ayton is a core piece, the Suns have mismanaged this entire situation. And it started la- again, it started last summer. They had an opportunity to extend him at a way less price than what he's made what he got from Indiana today. The 133 million max contract offer last year, that number probably looked around 198 million dollars for four years from the Phoenix Sun side of things. Yet they decided to not do it. They just said, let's roll it over to next offseason and uh, let's roll the dice in in a in a sense and what they did is they bet on their young star not really producing which why would you do that as a front office why would you bet against your players not why would you bet on your players why would you bet against a former number one overall pick from just the 2018 draft this is fresh I mean he's a younger player in this league and for the Phoenix Suns they got older players like Chris Paul who is you know he can't play full seasons because he's older in his time and you're having to turn over the franchise eventually to Devin Booker at some point who's the 
the face of the Phoenix Suns, but he's going to need a team around him, and it, it can't just be Mikel Bridges, who is a strong wing for the Phoenix Suns. It can't just be Jay Crowder. They need some help down low, and DeAndre Ayton has to be that guy, and if it's not him, then they need to get the compensation in return from him from Indiana. That's not going to happen now since he signed that offer sheet, so I think that the Suns are in a really bad position right now, and uh, even if they do um, you know, sign him to that uh, that and match that offer, I, I still see that relationship between the Suns and Aiton as yeah. a, a tarnished one. Bismack Biongo, uh, Biombo, by the way, is the backup center on the team. That just gives you an idea of what you're dealing with right now. And they, re- and, they and I think they also uh, have uh, Jock Landale. So there's nobody on that roster that makes you feel good about giving up uh, DeAndre Ayton. Nobody. And that's part of the problem right now. And they really uh, don't have any other power forwards besides Crowder who could then morph into the center spot if you play that. So, I mean, Aiden is a valuable piece on that team. So, to me, if the Suns lose Aiden, that's a that's a huge blow to the club right now. We also know how quick things change across the league in the NBA. Like you have Kevin Durant just a, a week or two ago saying that his two teams of choice, if he were to be traded, would be Miami or Phoenix. So if KD joins the Suns, yeah, I could see a small ball lineup of the Suns that could work. But if they don't get KD, if they don't ke- uh, keep DeAndre Ayton, then we could be looking at a grim near future for the Phoenix Suns. They might not even make the playoffs if, if it's just a CP3 and Devin Booker running things back well first off you can't get um you can't trade Aiton in a deal to Brooklyn because if you match the offer sheet you've got them tied up until uh January of, of next year and chances are if something happens in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant going to Phoenix it's gonna happen uh before so that's another problem right now is you know Aiton's the most disgruntled of the group because of the way he's been handled and you can't trade him in, in a deal. So I don't know what they're going to do right now. Yeah, and now I'm looking at the Suns. Their best trade package is going to have to revolve around Mikel Bridges, which is simply not enough for the Brooklyn Nets. And you can't talk yourself into trading Devin Booker. You're not trading away Chris Paul, of course. Those are your two leaders of the team. So, again, uh, the Phoenix Suns are in a really bad position right now. I guess their best, best method of success is to try to mend relationships with Aiton, pay him a ton of money, and then maybe work on a deal. Uh, maybe it's in January. Maybe it's next offseason, uh, but he will not be a Phoenix Suns player probably by next year. And by the way, if he signs the offer sheet um, and and uh, you know, goes back to Phoenix, man, that's another problem because now you're over the luxury tax. So there's nothing you can do. You're really they're stuck between a rock and a hard place after this. That's the problem right now. There's no good win if you're the Suns. And Robert Sarver is such a bad owner and such a. Uh, uh, he's he, it's a cheapskate. He doesn't like to spend money at all. When you say the words luxury tax, he hides and he th- says the only way I'm gonna play, I will pay the luxury tax is if we win an NBA Finals championship. And uh, for the Phoenix Suns, they were bounced out of the second round last year. They were disgruntled and upset with DeAndre Ayton after that performance when they were when they lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, and now you're looking at this season, really trying to convince yourself that you can get back to the NBA Finals. I think the the path is way tougher this year for Phoenix, even with. DeAndre Ayton coming back potentially. 100%. And now that they can't get back Miles Turner in a sign and trade because of what happened, uh, yeah, it really limits their uh, limits their potential. All right, 17 passed. Cody Decker on deck. We'll get him up in just a moment as a sports talk continues. But first, out to Charlie One for this traffic update. Oh, hang on. Come on. Get it right, Steve. 
Here we go. Didn't realize it was just going to join the music in progress. Never seen that before. Uh, Adrian's movie review as we get ready for Cody Decker. Coming up in uh, less than 10 minutes from now. But, Adrian, uh, you've got another movie for our listeners here today. Following up on the classic Beverly Hills Cop, what would you like to focus on uh, today? Thank you, Steve. Uh, real quick, before I get into the movie review, just want to thank Alamo Drafthouse. You could watch unlimited movies with their new season pass at their East or West location at Alamo Drafthouse, and you could watch movies ahead of time, all for just a low cost of $16.99 a month. That's uh, watching unlimited movies with the Alamo Drafthouse season pass. Say Anything is the movie that I got a chance to watch. 1989, John Cusack. This one um, is, uh, is available on HBO Max. Let's get back to that uh, subscription talk. Hulu is also um, where where you could find Say Anything, and uh, this one again started in nineteen, it debuted in nineteen eighty nine. It's got John Cusack in this. It's uh, about somebody in John Cusack who uh, he plays Lloyd, the character. He's a goofy guy. He's not that book smart. He's kind of known as the the dumber guy, but he's eccentric. He's a nicer fellow, and uh, he falls for the valedictorian Diane. She's the perfect straight-A student. She's a perfect student at this school. But she also falls for Lloyd, too. So it's a kind of an interesting relationship with polar opposite people. She's going off to a, a fellowship in Britain, and Diane introduces Lloyd to a retirement home. Lloyd teaches her how to drive. So they fall for each other. It's, it's all about the love between these two. I don't want to interrupt you, but, and I've never done this before on any of your movie reviews, but if you don't mind, if I have your permission yes. to do something here for this particular movie review that you, you've got, I have to. So hang on. I'm changing the music. I never change the music on any Adrian's movie reviews, but I must <laughs> because this is Say Anything We're Talking About Here. There and one of the most iconic scenes uh, in, in cinematic history. All right, you may continue. I will play this underneath the rest. Okay, great. So Diane's father hates Lloyd. Jim, he can't stand him. He's also dealing with his own problems, too. He owns the retirement home. He has the IRS on his back, and uh, the IRS is not happy with Jim. They, in fact, they're interrupting him left and right throughout this film. Well, in the end, the father forces Diane to break up with Lloyd. And Diane gives you know Lloyd a, a pen, kind of signifying the end of the relationship. Well, Lloyd goes, and he plays the uh, illustrious song on the boombox. He wins her back. Diane and, and Lloyd are back together when it's all said and done. You know, it's the iconic scene. In fact, I, I kind of thought in my head, how have I not seen this film? How have I not seen this scene? So, yeah, I get it. Um, and then it ends in a happy ending. Dad's in jail because of the IRS. He's got to serve a sentence. Lloyd, he ends up visiting the dad, but he tells the dad some bad news <laughs> that he's going off to Britain with Diane. They're running away for each uh, with each other. And, uh, you know, as a result, Lloyd gives him the pen and says, sayonara, I'm out of here. You know, and they, they leave. Uh, it, it's a happy ending. Soundtrack's fantastic, by the way, Steve. It I mean, is. you've got Peter Gabriel, like, we, like we're hearing. You've got, uh, you got Living Color. you got Cheap Trick, Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is a great, great soundtrack. Uh, in fact, the critical reception is very high on, say, anything. Rotten Tomatoes rated this 98%. IMDb, 7.3 out of 10. I'm giving this one 8 out of 10 bananas. Wow. So you follow up a 9 out of 10 bananas with 8 out of 10 bananas for Say Anything. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a rom-com fan at all. Um, 
I, I haven't even seen many John Cusack films, but, I, you know, I like this film. I think it was easy to watch. I think also um, it, it holds well. Like, it, it stands the test of time. 1989, great cinematography all across the board, and soundtrack was great. All right. That's awesome. I, I, I'll, I'll take the 8 out of 10 bananas uh, for Say Anything. I think that's fair. And, and truthfully, you know, now you can kind of say you're starting to see – all of these iconic movies from that particular era. That's that's probably the most important thing, right? Really, when you start to add it all up, you want to make sure that you've caught yourself up on, on these movies, and now you feel like you, you really have. That's that's the number one goal here. Yeah, we're, we're starting to pile up on some of the better ones. So I, I like this. We're, we got on a good streak, so uh, no rotten bananas, no uh, plain bananas recently. So we're, we're yeah. solid. We're solid. That's good. That's really, really good. All right, um, Sports Center now, two minutes away. Cody Decker uh, is joining us uh, via Zoom. Uh, Cody, uh, it's been a busy week for Adrian's movie reviews. He just gave Say Anything, 8 out of 10 bananas. And then he gave also uh, Beverly Hills Cop 9 out of 10 yesterday. So some of the iconic 80s movies, part of uh, Adrian's uh, movie watching here this week. Say anything should be higher, um, but I agree with the 9 out of 10 on Beverly Hills Cop. Great assessment. I can't wait for his opinion of Beverly Hills Cop 2. Do you, are you in the, um, you know, in the group that believes Beverly Hills Cop 2 is better than Beverly Hills Cop 1? 100% no, but I am in the group that 100% agrees and uh, follows and abides by this as a life rule, mm. and it's that Lethal Weapon 2 is the best action movie of the franchise by far. Yeah, I, I think Lethal Weapon 2 is amazing. Now, Yeah, you, it's when you got diplomatic immunity. It's just <laughs> been revoked. Best. Oh, it's good stuff. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 is a classic. Adrian, have you seen Lethal Weapon 2? Is that... no. No. I have not. I've seen Lethal Weapon 1, but that's it. We got to fix this. It's it's so much better. And plus, you just got the best mullet from Mel Gibson possible. I mean, this was this was this was prime very likable Mel Gibson. I I barely remember it myself. My goodness. By the way, uh, you've been on the radio for like the last five hours. You started in WFAN in New York for four. Mm -hmm. Then you just did your your show in Chicago that ended about five minutes ago, and now you're hopping on with us. So you have spent your entire afternoon uh, broadcasting radio in New York, Chicago, and now El Paso. That is correct. Making my third little appearance right now. I had a great time with Craig Carton hosting Carton Roberts today. Uh, second time I've gotten to do that. Uh, hopefully we could be doing that a little bit more. Who knows what's going to take place there. Had my show, 670 The Score, uh, down the line with Cody Decker, brought to you by Circuit Resort Casino. That was a lot of fun. Just did that show. And now I'm here with Steve Kapowitz, loving life, talking all things Mesa Street here in El Paso. That's right. That's exactly what we're doing. That's, and, and by the way, when we come back, because we have the Sports Center here at the bottom of the hour, I want to talk to you about Dodger Stadium because you went back. Mm -hmm. You went back this week. You took more cuts. Uh, you realize that you you did something that most people would kill for. And I know uh, maybe it's not as big a deal to you, but this would be a bucket list item for probably every listener that I have to know that they could be on the hallowed grass and turf at uh, Dodger Stadium, taking their hacks to see if they can hit some balls over the wall. 
I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. That's for sure. I'm a lucky guy in certain respects. You know, it helps that I'm that I'm 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 everybody's daddy and that daddy rakes. It just helps out quite a bit. Plus, I'm actually bringing a few people from El Paso out to come and swing it with me on this Sunday at Dodger Stadium. The last time we're doing it, getting ready for the home run derby. You're doing it again on Sunday, huh? Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, by the way, will you be making Daddy Rakes shirts to sell? Is that going to be the latest of uh, the anti-hero clothing line? You know what? It seems like a kind of a ready-made shirt. People have been asking me for it. I think it's time to bring out some Daddy Rakes shirts. It's about time because Daddy definitely still rakes. All right. More with uh, Daddy Rakes himself, Cody Decker, in a moment. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Visiting now with Cody Decker uh, here from his uh, studio home out there in Southern California. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's been a busy day for Cody. He's been all over the radio, and now his third stop is here in El Paso with us on uh, 600 ESPN. Uh, you have already had a couple of opportunities to go to Dodger Stadium and, uh, and, and take your cuts, take your hacks. It's uh, Again, as somebody who played so long in the game and had a chance to, to play at Dodger Stadium uh, as a member of the Padres, what was this experience like going and, and testing, essentially? Uh, you're like the beta tester for their home run derby next week. Dare I say I'm more like the alpha tester of their home run derby stuff next week because I'm just uh, – that's just what I am. I just show up and do it. Yes, I'm doing all the testing of the stuff. How great is it? It's awesome. You're out- you're on a big league baseball field hitting batting practice. It's cool, especially if you still got some pop and can put the ball over the fence a little bit. I mean, it's one thing. And here's the thing, because I am mimicking these two-minute rounds. And I can't stress this enough. The home run derby rounds take a lot out of you. In fact, I did two home, uh, home run derby rounds last time I was out. The first round, I got absolutely gassed. And the second round, I got the rhythm going and had a much better round. Um, but it, it's very fun. The only downside is I don't get to watch the fly to the ball because I have to get ready for the next swing. So it is very, very interesting when you hit a ball out, but you don't hear it. But when you hear the, the ball hit the seats, it's just the greatest feeling in the world. At the same time, somebody like yourself that played pro ball for so many years, would you say that 80 or 90% of the balls you connect, you know they're on their way out, even if you're not watching it, just from the contact and the feel? Yes, but I will say it also depends on the baseball itself. So a couple of rounds, some of the balls are better than other balls. Some we were using balls from the cage, which are a little beaten up. So I might click one that I'm like, yeah, I got that. It might go off the wall. I'm like, yeah, that ball could have been a little bit better. And then they brought us out some better balls and the balls just fly. It's just a different thing. It's just a matter of a, a lot of things. But yeah, if I hit the ball right and I feel it, I know I pretty much know when I get it. And the money ball is probably the most juiced up baseball of all time, right? That thing is is right here. This I have it in my hand, the T-Mobile money ball, which is a half pink and white baseball. This thing that I did hit into the stands, I took one swing. 
um, and I did not hit it well. And I think I hit it 460 feet. This thing is as hard as a rock. I cannot wait to hit more of these. God, I wish I played with these. So when you did your second trial run, did you get those money baseballs as part of your as part of your home runs? No, sadly. But don't worry. We'll see what happens this Sunday. I'm really excited. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter, at Decker6, and Instagram, Antihero Baseball. I'll produce some live videos of it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, you have other guys going with you to, to hit. You're not by yourself doing this. Um, of the guys you brought, is anybody able to out-hit you in the home run department? I mean, they could try, but it's going to be a tough battle. I mean, I got Nick Rickles, one of my teammates from Team Israel. And by the way, Nick Rickles has some absolute pop. One of the best BP hitters you'll ever see. He had some juice in the games too, but he was always kind of allotted as a backup catcher. So he never really got a chance to really show how much power he had. And he's got a lot of it. Um, not only that, a guy from El Paso that, flying out, that we're flying out, J.J. Figueroa, played at Eastwood High School. He works over at Bimo Elite Athletics. He's coming out to take some swings. And believe it or not, J.J.'s got some juice. He can put the ball in the stands. He came out the first time at Dodger Stadium. He hit about five homers. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Speaking of Bimo Elite Athletics, is Joe finally retired, or is he still trying to come back and play? I don't know. I'm not there. I figured I'm in LA, you, you know, my I, studio right now. Yeah, I, I I get that, but I figured you probably at least get the uh, get the word of what's going on because he hasn't he hasn't uh, played this season. So I was kind of wondering if uh, Joe has decided to finally call it a career, or if he could be like Satchel Paige and resurface in his fifties and try to get back out there. If Joe wanted to pitch at sixty three years old. Joe will pitch at 63 years old. The guy is still sitting 93 to 95 at 46 years old. I think he'd be a great benefit to any organization that wanted to bring him on. I think the Padres should bring him back. I'd love to see him back playing for the Chihuahuas again. Joe Bimel is a, a unicorn of a human being in that what he's able to accomplish at his age is just staggering. Cody Decker with us via Zoom here as we continue on Sports Talk. For you, um, you've done home run derbies before. I know you were in a triple-A home run derby competition during an all-star game uh, during your playing days. The two-minute round is, you said it, the hardest part about it is just having to take so many swings and not really admire the ball because you're getting ready for your next one as soon as you're, you're done ramping up that, that, that previous swing. Believe it or not, that's not the worst part. The worst part is actually the pitching because it doesn't matter if it's where you want it or not. You kind of have to swing mm -hmm. because you have a time limit there. It's not like the old school thing where you get to take a pitch and get your pitch and get to 10 outs. You got two minutes. You whatever you get is what you get. And so if your pitcher is off and not hitting the spot that's best for you as a hitter, then you're going to lose. And it's very much, you got to be in sync with that same guy every single time. Most of the times during the home run derby, their pitchers are in sync. I mean, it may occasionally it happens, but for the most part, these are guys that always throw to them. And you could just tell watching Pete Alonzo these last couple of years that when, when his batting practice pitcher is in a groove, it's, it's like synergy seeing those two uh, connect. Oh, yes. He, they, they got it down pat. But I got to tell you, I've been having guys throw to me and they struggle because it's a little nerve wracking. That same time limits in the back of their head as well. And they're doing it not in front of 60,000 people, which will be at Dodger Stadium this Monday, screaming at the top of their lungs, not to mention the millions watching at home. How many hacks did you get in a two minute period? Did you count? 
Uh, no, I did not. But if I were to bet, uh, I can't stress this enough. It's not about quantity. It's about quality swing. So once you get that rhythm going, it becomes a lot, lot easier. I'd say it probably took around 25, 30 swings, maybe 40. That's a lot in two minutes, though. I mean, it's a lot. It's exhausting. Yeah. The first round, I was, I mean this, I was gassed. The second round, I could have done another two-minute round right afterward, but I had to figure out that rhythm. How is that? Because most people would say that they're gassed by the second two-minute round versus the first. It was just a different type of approach. My first round, I was just kind of muscled up, moving. I wasn't controlling my breathing as well. I was more about quantity, go, go, go. Mm -hmm. Second round, I kind of relaxed my hands, relaxed my body, and then just kind of started breathing and taking my time between pitches rather than getting back in my stance and getting ready to go. It was seeing the ball, the flight path of the ball. All right, easy back, back in my stance. Here we go. And that was a far better approach in doing this. It, one, saved me a lot of energy. Two, I took more quality swings. Three, more balls got out and deeper, I should say. And, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting experience to see the difference in those two approaches. And I do feel like if I take that second approach and I am practiced enough, like I'm playing every day, I really think I can put together some pretty damn good rounds. Meanwhile, it's a speaking of damn good, this field for uh, the Home Run Derby is going to be awesome. I mean, I know Colorado was great last year because it's Colorado and and great players, but it just seems like this is a star-studded field. It is, and I'm looking forward to seeing that last spot. I have my hopes of who it'll be. Uh, A lot of people are hoping for Judge. I honestly really want to see Giancarlo Stanton in this Home Run Derby. I think it would be phenomenal. You know, I haven't we haven't seen Giancarlo Stanton do a Home Run Derby where he can just constantly hit the ball out of the stadium. You know, we saw him in San Diego bouncing balls off the Western Metal Supply, but, you know, there's a lot of free-range area out there at Dodger Stadium to hit it out of Chavez Ravine. Very true. Very, very true. All right, uh, can you stick around with us for our final segment, or do you have to get out of here? Sure, why not? All right, fantastic. When we come back, Cody Decker will go ahead and uh, wrap up the hour with us. So stay with us. Sports Talk continues, 600 ESPN El Paso. Past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Cody Decker joins us right now from his studio home in Southern California. Piece of trivia, folks. Cody Decker's studio was also our Lubingo Studios. He hung out here and did many a radio show when he was in El Paso from our studios. That is very, very true. In fact, both you and Adrian were absurdly helpful, especially in the early days. Because, I mean, the early days when we were getting right around COVID, we were all trying to figure out how to do radio on the road, specifically how it's done now. And, man, you guys were extremely helpful and wonderful. And I got to do a lot of great Odyssey stuff out of there. And, and uh, you know, my show's in Chicago and all over the place. And I, I have you guys to thank for that. Uh, I got to do so much great stuff in El Paso and Truly, I got to do so much in El Paso the last couple of years because you guys were so generous with your studio and me. Now we appreciate that. And now you've got a perfect setup in your home. A lot of things. It's a busy back uh, backdrop for you, though, right now. I, I notice a vintage Wheaties box. I see a baseball bat. I see some kind of statue that's in gold. Uh, give our listeners, even though they can't see it until later when they watch the uh, YouTube feed, uh, a little idea of what, in fact, you have in your setup behind you. We'll go piece by piece. Why not? Over here, I got an award from 2009. I was named Minor League Player of the Year, so I have that lovely plaque. Next to that, I have the Home Run Derby ball that will be in this year's Home Run Derby. Next to that, a signed Michael Jordan Wheaties box. It still has the cereal in it, and I am hungry. Above that, I have, of course, my plaque that was on top of every locker when I played for Team Israel. It followed me both in Japan 
and Korea. I love this thing, of course. Uh, my bobblehead, my El Paso Chihuahua's bobblehead is always sitting next right to my head every show I do in every city that I do it in. Today in New York, today in Chicago, bobblehead right there front and center in El Paso. Next to that, I got this. Uh, this is a ticket to the Major League debut that I had in Arizona. And it was very nice that my dad saved it for me, framed it for me, and it's on my set full time. Down here, I have this Lovely little plaque where I was named a uh, uh, AAA All-Star when I was with the El Paso Chihuahuas. I have this wonderful Howie Long signed football helmet because I am a diehard, pathetic Raiders fan. I have a nice custom baseball bat barrel that has been made into a beer mug for me. That's there. And yes, this is real. My old license plate that was on a 2005 Honda Element, the best car I've ever had, and I will die on this hill. That was my license plate number. Yes, it does say Upper Decker. Yes, yes, yes. Every aspect of Upper Decker is true. I love it. Oh, and by the way, uh, that trophy that's right next to you, uh, the uh, the gold statue, what is that? Oh, that is the uh, uh, Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, of which I am a member of. Uh, foolishly, they were really, really short on contestants that year, but they let me in and there are no take backs. That has my name on it. Good luck getting it back for me. I love that. Congratulations. And by the way, uh, how'd you get the signed Jordan Wheaties box? That's a very cool piece of, uh, of uh, little memorabilia there. People and you know it was something I had kind of in the collection since my whole life. I think we got it at an auction when I was a young kid, and since I do a lot of radio in Chicago, I think it's a perfect thing to have up on my set. Everyone in, that grew up in the '90s was a Bulls fan, whether you like it or not. You like if you liked sports in the '90s, especially if you were a kid my age. I'm 35 now. You like two things: the Mariners and you liked the Bulls because of Ken Griffey Jr. and because of Michael Jordan, and that is it. That cereal could be 35 years old that's still in there, 30 years old. I'm sure early 90s. I remember when the Wheaties box first came out. Oh, yeah. I'm very hungry. I can't stress this enough. I've been on the radio nonstop for the last seven hours. I am very hungry. I might dabble into that. Would you ever consider, like, chewing a piece of gum from a a 35- or 40-year-old pack of baseball cards? I'm assuming there would be some sort of financial incentive in this for me. I don't know. Some people just do it just to do it, just to try Oh, it. I definitely won't do that. Okay, just just curious about <laughs> that. And wondering how that is. Hey, by the way, are you planning on attending the All-Star Game since it's in your backyard in L.A.? And you've been doing so many of these Home Run Derby dry runs over the last uh, six weeks. I will be having myself a very busy week. Will I actually be there for the All-Star game? I would be willing to bet no, but I will be at Dodger Stadium all through the week for All-Star week. Uh, I got a lot of radio that I have to do from here. A lot of stuff taking place in my hometown of Santa Monica. So I am going to be a busy, busy man throughout All-Star week here in Los Angeles, California. Check me out on Twitter and, of course, Instagram. You can see all of it. By the way, uh, it sounds to me like your career has uh, been uh, really uh, rocketing through the last uh, few months of the season. Not to say you weren't doing it beforehand. You had the national radio show with your wife and, and Eddie Pence. But now it seems like, uh, really for you, very busy, loving what you do, and uh, you're all over the airwaves. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got a bunch of shows. Obviously, the podcasts are doing fine. You know, I have the big time baseball podcast that I do with John Heyman and Tony Gwynn Jr. Absolutely love doing that show. It's great for Odyssey Sports. And of course, I have my BetMGM shows, of which I have a lot of them. I have BetMGM MLB podcast powered by BetQL. I, of course, have my Saturday live show for both uh, BetQL and CBS Sports called Bet for the Cycle. It's a live four hour show taking through all live lines through all Major League Baseball throughout the week. 
And then, uh, of course, I got my other shows in 670 The Score uh, in Chicago. I have Down the Line with Cody Decker that I have throughout the baseball season. And I fill in just about everywhere. You can catch me on the BetQL network, all the BetMGM stuff. I do BetMGM home run picks every weekend. So you can check me out on social media for those. Yeah, and plenty more coming up. And I only mentioned four of the shows that I currently have. You were also uh, in town uh, about a month ago for the uh, Jones Brothers Celebrity uh, Softball Game yeah, and Home Run Derby, ago. and that was very Blast. cool. Very, very cool. A wonderful time. A great organization raising money for a great chair. I mean, I'm just any chance I get a chance to come back to El Paso and kind of give back, I try to try to jump all over it. It was a great, wonderful time. You're welcome. I did hit a go-ahead home run. That's what I do. Enjoy All-Star Week. Appreciate you hopping on with us today, and it's always great to spend some time with you, Deck. Kapowitz, you ask me to jump. I will ask how high. That's how much I love you, and I love Adrian as well. Guys, thank you so much for having me and all that you've ever done for me. It's mutual. He's Cody Decker. He joins us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. Final 35 minutes. Tim Haggerty standing by in about 20 from the ballpark here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Final hour, final 30 minutes with you here on Sports Talk. Tim Haggerty is going to join us uh, for our final countdown as we continue. Do uh, want to uh, direct your attention to our website, 600ESPNElPaso.com. Uh, Joe Rod with a story about FC Juarez picking up their first win of the season uh, against Cholos. Uh, that is up uh, on the site uh, with uh, a couple of cool goal videos as well. I wrote something uh, today that I do want to tell you about, folks, because when I was in New York last month on vacation, I had a chance to do something I've never done before. Um, I took a circle line boat ride around Manhattan Island, and this wasn't just one of these, uh, you know, 30, uh, 45 minute uh, cruises. This was a two and a half hour best of NYC uh, boat ride that saw the whole island. Everything. We saw New Jersey. We saw Brooklyn. We saw Queens. We saw the Bronx. Saw it all. And um, it was really uh, something to behold. And I went ahead and took a ton of pictures. I think I, I think the uh, the gallery that is in the story is fifty seven. Uh, photos and uh, more bridges than I even knew. And uh, more than anything, uh, seeing the New York City skyline from so many angles. Uh, that was one of my favorite things about the Circle Line uh, a boat tour of uh, New York City, Adrian. It was amazing. And they had a, a tour guide that talked the entire time and pretty much pointed out every piece of information regarding every landmark uh, and other bridges that we were able to go under and go through and point out all the stuff. We had a great shot of Yankee Stadium, which when you're um, uh, you know taking the uh, the boat, you see it on your right hand side. Couldn't miss that, and just uh, you know it was it was so much fun because. You spend all these different years going to New York on vacation, visiting family, friends, you know, and that kind of thing. But you never do this. This is one of those that I really enjoyed because I've never seen the whole island like this. And uh, thanks to, to, you know, to uh, checking out the Circle Line Cruise, had a chance to do that. That's really cool. I, I can't believe you've been to New York all these different times, Stephen. This is the first time you've done something like this. We moved 44 years ago to El Paso from New York. Used to go every year. 
been two weeks, stayed with my grandmother in Brooklyn, and uh, we would, you know, go to the city every so often. And then, you know, recently in the last 25 years or so, um, since I started working at the radio station, I always like to go back and vacation in New York City. And you're right, never done this before. So uh, part of the fun for me was not only getting a chance to experience the boat ride around Manhattan Island, but write about it and put up the gallery so our listeners can get the opportunity to kind of see what it was all about. And if they go, they'll have an opportunity to, to do the, uh, the Circle Line cruise like I did and, and see the same kind of effects. It'd be great. Yeah, I love the fact that you got to see all the different vantage points that you never had before, like seeing Yankee Stadium from that vantage point, seeing uh, you know the Statue of Liberty from that vantage point. That must be really, really neat. It is. It's definitely something that if you've if you're going to uh, New York City, take time out and do it. Just because it's one of those things you don't think about very often. And yeah, it's touristy. I know it's touristy, but you know what? I'd never done that, and I've probably been to uh, New York City visiting three dozen times over the years and, and never even thought about this. So this is why, to me, it uh, it really was uh, so much fun and, and definitely wanted to write about this and, and share all those photos with all of you out there as well. So uh, that's up on our website right now at 600ESPNElPaso.com. Um, you could check that out along with uh, Joe's write-up and, and, and see all the stuff that uh, the two of us uh, put together on the site for you on a regular basis. There's a lot there, a lot of good content, and um, you know, just uh, have the opportunity to go visit and uh, see what we have to offer for you. All right. Um, meanwhile, you know, we're going to go back and get ready to have Hags uh, join us in, in just a little bit uh, during our final countdown. But uh, before we get to uh, Tim and everything else that's coming around, um, you know, the Major League Baseball draft is right around the corner. It's next week. And I am so interested to see where Ivan Melendez ends up. I think that is the biggest question for a lot of us, wondering how his stock will continue to increase between now and draft time. It's funny because, you know, he was – uh, dra- he was he was he was drafted last year. I forget what round, but um, there was no way he was going to turn pro. He was you know he was going to come back to Texas and play. He upped his stock. College Player of the Year, pretty much won every Player of the Year award there is for baseball. I mean, Dick Hauser Award, um, you know, the Golden Spikes Award, every award you want, he has. So now all of a sudden, where will Ivan go? I am so interested in that. And when I saw him at uh, D-Bat on the west side about a week and a half ago, he told me he's hearing late first, early second round. I figured top three, top three rounds, he's going, well, I just don't know which round and into which team, but somebody out there is going to um, want a big, strong, power-hitting first baseman who still wants to play third, but more than likely will be ticketed for first base in the big leagues. Yeah, D1 Baseball, which covers uh, prospects coming out of college baseball, ranked Ivan Melendez, the number one college first baseman. Not really a surprise right there. And out of the draft, I mean, we're watching, and we have to have all eyes on L.A. this weekend to see when Ivan Melendez will be taken. Uh, Just a couple stats to, to go along with what you said. School record, 32 home runs this past year. More walks. 
with 52, then strikeouts with 48 this past season to go with his 70-grade raw power. I mean, this guy can do a lot for a, a team as soon as he's drafted. And, uh, you know, somebody who can work his way through the minor league system and try to find his way on the ma- on, on the majors. So and, I yes. love it. I love and, Fry and Ivan Melendez. And, and the truth is he probably will end up starting in – low A or high A, and then double A and then triple A. That's just the the natural progression of things when you're a draft pick. You don't go straight to the big leagues. It's not like that. Nobody does that. So it's, you know, in, in the NBA, you get drafted in the first round, your top five, top ten pick, you're going straight to the NBA. Not like that. Same with the NFL. You know, you're a first round pick. Uh, you're probably a starter in the NFL out of college. But in baseball, whether you're a high school or college draft pick, doesn't matter. Adrian, you got to work your way up. And most of the times, um, even if you're one of the best college baseball players in the country, it takes years before you can really break on through and get into the big leagues. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. It's years. I mean, we're talking about two or three or even more. I mean, the, the timeline is so long for uh, these players who get drafted out of whether it's college or high school, but that's how it is in, in Major League Baseball. Totally different than other sports. Uh, real quick breaking news, Steve. It's not Giancarlo Stanton. It's not Aaron Judge. It's uh, Corey Seager who will take that final spot for the home run derby. Ugh, that's, a, that's a strange one because – you know, we, we wanted to see uh, ultimately one of the big, strong, power-hitting monsters out of New York do it. Now, let's not take anything away from Corey Seager, but this year, Corey Seager's batting two forty five with 21 home runs and, and 48 RBIs. I mean, it's not Stanton numbers, it's not Judge numbers, and... Um, you know, he's 28 years old. He did come up with the Dodgers. So ultimately, it would be Corey Seager returning to Dodger Stadium. But it doesn't have the same sizzle that it would have had it been Stanton or, um, you know, or, or Judge. Yeah, it doesn't. It's L.A., Steve. We're talking about the All-Star game, All-Star weekend. It's For me, it's trying to get the headliners, which is Judge or Stanton. And the fact that they couldn't get those two and it's Seager instead, I, yeah, it's an underwhelming last person to, to fill the spot. The The only thing that you can really be excited – well, the thing that you could be really excited about for the Home Run Derby is it's a really competitive field. I mean, you got Pete Alonso coming back, Ronald Acuna Jr. So I like the names that are still there. It just – the cherry on top would have been Stanton or Judge for sure. Do we know that they couldn't get him, or do we do we know that for sure? Is no, it possible no. that uh, they just wanted Seager because of the Dodger tie-in? Yeah, that could have definitely been the case. That, that definitely could have been possible right there. Man, oh man. All right, uh, 13 past the hour. Oh, real quick, continue. Steve, uh, yes. regarding Ivan Melendez, just wanted to mention this uh, and to speak on the topic of longevity or how long it takes to get to break through the majors. Last El Pasoan to be drafted in an MLB draft was America's graduate Daryl Hernaiz, who we've talked to on this show. Uh, Cody Decker has talked about him when he was talking with the BYAA. Um, he was the last player to be selected. He was drafted in the fifth round in 2019. Currently He's with the Aberdeen Ironbirds in the high A through the uh, uh, Baltimore Orioles system. He's batting 293 with an on base percentage of uh, 83, uh, uh, actually 839. So I like what he's doing so far. I mean, Daryl Hernaiz, not a bad start to his career. On base plus slugging, right? That's his OPS right, right. Of, of 839. Listen, he's having a great season, but he's already year three since he's been drafted and he's in high A. Now, Hernaiz was also uh, very young when he was selected. Right. So right out of high school. But 
Um, you know, it just goes to show you how tough it is to try to break through and get into the big leagues. It's not easy, folks. This is this is no lock, but uh, the point is, Ivan's going to make a lot of money when he gets drafted and a signing bonus, and the more money you make, the more teams have invested in you. And ultimately, as Cody Decker has pointed out, if you're a 30th-round pick versus a first-round pick, um, the team doesn't really have nearly as much invested. So if you don't make it, they don't care. Whereas if you're a first, second, or third round pick, they want, they're going to do everything in their, in their power to get you in. Yeah. And her is 20 years old. Ivan Melendez, 22 years old, just kind of puts it into perspective, different avenues. Her definitely had those division one offers, but he elected to go out of high school and yeah, he's 20 years old trying to work his way through the Baltimore system. Awesome example. Happy you brought that up. When we come back, Hags live from the ballpark. We'll join Tim and get our final countdown right after Charlie won in this final traffic update.